You are listening to Golden Otter Divinations, where the metaphysical meets the mainstream with Autumn Seibel. Tune in 9 a.m. Pacific, the first Friday of every month, as Autumn helps you manifest your dreams by connecting to loved ones in spirit, empowering you to find both physical and spiritual healing. Are you ready to transform your life and connect to divine guidance through practical strategies? Golden Otter Divinations is the place to find engaging interviews with medical experts, practicing mediums, intuitives, healers, and many more. Now, here's your host, Autumn Seibel. Hi, everyone. I'm Autumn, and you're listening to Golden Otter Divinations on Transformation Talk Radio. Stay with us for the next hour as we explore where the metaphysical meets the mainstream. And remember to join us live each first Friday of the month, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, when we have new, informative, and engaging interviews with medical experts, practicing mediums, intuitives, healers, and many more to help uplift, educate, and empower listeners like you to find physical and spiritual healing. So welcome to the show. Today, we are diving into past lives. So stay with us for the next hour as I have author and peace activist, Dina Miriam, whose new book, My Journey Through Time, tells the story of how the events and people she has encountered in life serve to awaken memories of past births, uh, memories that help her to understand her current life and provide spiritual direction and guidance. As she remembered past teachers and loved ones, she realized that the most important message is the continuation of these relationships through time, through death and rebirth. The body may perish, but love continues, only to be reawakened at another point in time. We meet old friends again and again in different forms and situations to continue what was left unsaid and undone. So this is a topic I'm really excited to explore. Um, as some of you may know, I am getting ready for a big move to Africa in just under a month, um, something that kind of came out of the blue and happened really quickly and is happening so easily. I mean, as easy as a move in under six months to a completely foreign um, country can be, everything's happening. And so um, it's just an interesting time for me to be having this interview um, with somebody who I also really admire before I have, I'm just going. Dina, I want to welcome you to the show. Hi. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And you summed that up beautifully. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's from that's from um, your book. Um, so, man, I really just dove right in there. But usually, um, before we get started with the show to raise our vibration and to get in the flow, I like to ask all of my guests if they've had any golden moments lately. So golden meaning a time you were just totally in the flow or an interaction you knew was sent by spirit. Um, or otherwise otherworldly, or I guess in your case, past lives-ish, um, something that made you smile and your heart sing. So have you had any golden moments lately? I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I've just come back from India. I was in India over, um, over the holiday, mm-hmm. and um, I, had, I was sitting by the Ganga. And as you know from my book, the Ganga has a very um, uh, special relationship to my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, many, many revelations have come to me there. And so I was sitting there by the Ganga and just letting everything go and getting a lot of affirmation um, about um, my next book, which is about to, <laughs> which is about to come back, which which goes back further in time. Wow. And so so I'm on this journey and and it's a never ending journey. It's not like it ever stops. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the memories uh, keep percolating. And new um, inspiration and new insights keep coming. And so that was a very precious moment for me over this holiday while I sat by the Ganga as, as a com- affirmation that what I had seen in my next book was, in fact, valid. How very cool. I, 
this is such um, funny timing and I'm, I'm a big believer in serendipity and coincidence or, or not coincidence, but more like destiny point. Um, and we've actually had this interview booked since this summer. And I think right after we scheduled this interview for February, here it is February. And I think we've booked sometime this summer. I found out like within a few weeks that we'd be moving to Africa for my spouse's next assignment. And um, it came out of left field and everything has been going so quickly that my world is kind of spinning. And I looked at the calendar, I go, oh my gosh, I've got the Dina Miriam interview this week. And um, my husband also um, for my birthday recently scheduled me a past life regression session (laughs) of all days tomorrow, because that's the only day and all the wildness of the move that we could schedule it. And so every now and then life, as much as I'm steeped in this spiritual seeking and um, knowing that everything happens for a reason, reason, sometimes it catches me even by surprise. I actually should say always catches me by surprise. Like I know it's going to happen. And then when it happens, I'm like, Oh, this is the unfoldment. Um, But past lives is one of those subjects that I've never really delved too far into because I always come back to like, well, what's the reason I'm here now? And I have this intense urgency, like I'm supposed to be doing something. Um, And so we were booking you for this show, the fact that you are a um, peace activist and you have the global um, peace initiative for women. was something that really attracted me to you because I was a peace studies major in in, um, peace studies and conflict resolution major in college and had um, had these like grand plans of working for the UN and, you know, like negotiating peace treaties and taking out dictators through legislation. I mean, I I don't, I don't know. I was in college. I was (laughs) an idealist and I'm a little bit more of a a realist in that sense. but your book was something that I really loved reading because you go through and you explore several lives, seven, if I'm correct. Seven, yeah. Yeah. And what I really loved about the way that you wrote the book was that it was all first person and the way that you uh, revealed the stories was um, through self-exploration and um, nothing against hypnotists, nothing against past life regressionists. I'm, I've got an appointment to go tomorrow and I've almost canceled it a hundred times, but I know I have to go because it's the next step in my journey. Um, but I love that you were able to do it yourself and that there was no, um, like there was no victim story in there where I, I, I tend to see that sometimes people go into the past life thing and then they get hooked on this story. Well, in this life, this really traumatic thing happened to me. And then they just keep telling that story. And I'm like, okay, like that was then this is now like, why did you show up here now in this time space reality in the form and the shape that you did, there has to be some reason so I sometimes feel like I'm tugged between wanting to know my past and my past lives and being really like stubborn about why does it matter? I'm here now. Um, so what made you, you know, I guess like, like what was the opening point for you to start this journey? Well, this was um, like you, I, I, I was not particularly interested in prying into my past, although mm-hmm. From early childhood, I had, um, it's like the curtain would would sweep open for a second and something would come through and then Mm -hmm. it would close again. Mm -hmm. And I just took, you know, whatever came and I just didn't think about it a whole lot. I always accepted it away. I always accepted that, you know, this made the most sense to me that we kept coming back and we birthed just was a fact of life. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't until I actually moved into my home when I was about 30, 
mm-hmm. that the home suddenly represented something to me. And I began having dreams of another house. Mm-hmm. And I would wake up. Um, I moved into my house and then very within a year got divorced and was left with two small children. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go to work. And throughout this process of struggling with my my life, you know, of getting divorced and having two small kids and mm-hmm. having to hold a job and, and doing all that and maintaining this big house that I just moved into, I was having these, these recurrent dreams of another house. They haunted me. And I would always wake up longing for that house and with a sense of sadness. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know what to do with this. I mean, how, how can I stop these dreams? Um, I, I didn't know who to go to or talk to, so I just experienced it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this went on for maybe five, six, seven years, where maybe every six months I would be, find myself back in that house. And I realized that there were things about the house I had just moved into that sparked a, mem- a remembrance. Yeah. There was a particular tile on a, on a floor that I would just look, find myself staring at it, and it sparked a remembrance. And mm-hmm. so it, it wasn't until about seven years later that someone entered my work life who then began uh, uh, talking to me in Russian and calling me by a Russian affectionate name. And then suddenly in my meditations, I would begin to have memories. And, and it, it was, it's very hard to describe what it was like, but I'd, I'd find myself in meditation being like being back in a movie mm-hmm. where I was seeing scenes. And it wasn't just like images, it was like a whole series of scenes and hearing conversations, and it would awaken um, emotions in me. So I knew that I knew which character I was. It's mm-hmm. like being in a play and knowing you're that character. Yeah, uh, and and it was a little unsettling, which is why I don't incur- not a little. It was very unsettling, which I don't why I don't encourage people to delve into the past mm-hmm. because you live it. So when I saw my previous birth and I experienced all the things. Um, being sent out of Russia, losing my parents, never seeing them again, being, finding myself in Nazi Germany. You know, I was experiencing it again. There was a time when I was sitting in meetings at work and finding myself back in Nazi Germany. Yeah. And like, I want to get out of here. I, I, I don't want to think about this. I don't want these, I don't want to, I don't want to have those memories of that. But they're there, what to do with them. And all I could do was turn to my meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's all I had to do is to turn to my meditation. And, uh, you know, I said to myself, am I, am I going crazy? Am I losing it? And then I would say, no, I'm a very grounded person, single mother, working, holding a good job. <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm not flaky. I do that all the time, too. I pinch myself. I'm like, I have a job, right? Have, <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm safe job. here in this life. Yeah, <laughs> I do that a lot, too. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the tile in your home. I wrote um, a, I do these monthly um new and full moon rituals. And I wrote one about exploring past lives and um, celestial portals. And it's that this idea that like, there's these Karens. Um, so like in the ant in um, like Northern Canada, I grew up in Alaska and the native Alaskans used to uh, put these things called, and I'm gonna, if you're from Canada, please like, like I'm gonna butcher this, but they call Anuskut. And it's basically these rock formations that the native peoples would leave to mark that there were humans there or um, that it was a good place to hunt or that you could look through um, at it and at a distance see like a, a, a place that's far away that you could go to. Like maybe that's where there were muskox to hunt or moose or whatever it may be. And so they were these kind of like Karens that would scatter the landscape. 
and you could look through them into another place. It's like you go and you look through one and um, you know, you know where to go hunt and it's like something left behind by the men. So I wrote a ritual about um, exploring our past lives through that lens. Like if you ever find yourself um, staring at one and I happen, I live in DC and I happen to be in the Smithsonian and there we were going to the narwhal exhibit for my little girls because um, they're the unicorns of the sea and we walk in and there's this Aniscus. It's like a, a stone carving, a portal. And I was like, wow, like couldn't be more <laughs> like blatant in, in my face than that. Um, but I like the idea of just like kind of briefly peering into the past to understand a little bit more about ourselves. I had a past, I wouldn't even call it past life reading once. I had a soul reading by a woman named Lisa Molden who wrote a really fascinating book called Presidential Souls. And she essentially looks at the characteristics of your soul, not necessarily a life that you lived, but like aspects that you may have carried. And um, there was part about um, being a geisha in one life and then a, um, a, a an American um, soldier, like in the World War One era. And so it was really interesting because then I ended up teaching world. Just funny things that you go, huh, that's something to consider. That's definitely something to consider. And maybe tells you something about yourself that you wouldn't necessarily share with other people, but it's like, you, like you said, you sit with it for a little bit and you go, huh. Um, but you know what? We have to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk more about Exploring Past Lives with Dean and Miriam. Stay tuned. Are you new to playing with the law of attraction or a seasoned pro looking for an easy and organized way to monitor your co-creation endeavors as you draw them from the immaterial planes into your physical reality? Then join me over at goldenotter.us for bi-monthly new and full moon rituals where we plant seeds of intention, then harvest the fruits of our desires as part of a dynamic community in the members-only Lunar Manifestations Forum. I'm Autumn Seibel, host of Golden Otter Radio, where the metaphysical meets the mainstream, and I can't wait to meet you. And we're back on Golden Otter Radio with me, Autumn Seibel, and my amazing guest today, Dina Miriam, who's here discussing discussing how examining our past lives allows us to peer into the future. Um, so we're actually going to talk about going into the future. Um, how do you think past lives help us live our current life? I guess would be the best way to just dive into that topic. What's the, so, what's the point? I think one has to see, um, it's not just looking at who you were in your immediate past, mm -hmm. but looking way back and you see that there are qualities. So I see myself as a, as a, a, a amalgamation of all that I've been before. Mm -hmm. So I see qualities in myself from my birth just previous, as well as the birth previous to that, as well as to the birth previous to that, as well as to the birth previous to that. There, there were- And when people read your book, it's very, it might sound like kind of esoteric now, but when you read Dina's book, almost using it as a template for how to examine maybe your own past lives, you can see how, as you read each story, they they go into the next or each life kind of. It's like, oh, I could see how the events of this life would transition into the next future life and back. But you were called them out of order. Is that well? I the first three went went back sequentially. Mm -hmm. So I saw first my just the birth previous, and then the one previous, and then the one, and those three are very much connected. Mm -hmm. Then there then there was a. Um, uh, I went back several centuries and worked my way back up again. 
Mm-hmm. So, so I think because there were themes that came out in the last three births that led me to where I am right now. And then, and I was able to piece it together. Also, what I was most interested in, and this I think is the major theme of my book, is understanding the laws of cause and effect. Yeah. Because, because when you can see back, you can see how things that were set in motion, uh, you know, years ago, um, are now finding the right conditions to, to, to find fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And if you can begin to understand that, then the next thing is, well, what I'm doing now is I'm creating my future. Mm-hmm. And, and after I finished the book, that was my kind of final realization. Oh, my God. I've seen what's led me to here to what I am now, but I am now setting the blueprint for what's going to come after. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and how can I do that more consciously? Oh, that's, Mary, that's the goal. I was just talking to my husband about this last night. So anytime I'm about to like experience a personal growth moment, it's like my soul knows it before my conscious mind knows it. And then my conscious mind knows it and tries to argue with my soul. Um, it, Gay Hendricks um, has a book called The Big Leap and he talks about it. Um, it's called Upper Limiting. And it's basically when we've reached a personal level and we know that it's time to go up in our consciousness or, or whatever, up leveling, if you will, um, in one capacity or another. But there's um, some usually most people find resistance and then self-sabotage. It's like can come in any numbers of way. You've been on a, you know, real health kick and then you binge for a couple days or anything. I mean, it could be literally anything. You're doing really great at work and then you sabotage for one reason or another. Um, And I almost, or I've been trying to do that with this past life thing with my husband. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. And and I'm like, what's the point? I just want to be here and now. And it's almost like, I'm afraid I'm going to discover something about myself that I don't like. Um, and it, it's kind of the same fear that I see with people like when they go see a medium or, or before they've ever seen one. And I'm like, I should be the least skeptical person of this stuff. And I, should, I would normally be first in line, but for some reason I have a lot of resistance. But what you said is, you know, you look at your current condition and um, that will describe your future. And a friend of mine has an email that like down at the bottom, it says, if you want to know your past, look at your present. And if you want to know your, your future, look at your present. So it's whatever you're creating now is what will um, create those things. And I, you know, I sometimes, like you said earlier, it's like, I have to pinch myself and go, oh, I have two young children. I, I have a you know beautiful life and I must've done something to deserve this. Cause I think we can all get into those, like, who am I? And what have I, what have I done to deserve this good or bad? Um, but anyways, I like that message of empowerment, that it's it's like you become conscious in creating the future by examining your past rather than getting stuck in any kind of story about whatever it may be. Like we were just talking during the break about the, the geisha thing. And I said I was both flattered and insulted. I'm like, I don't really know how to take that. Um, again, flattered and insulted. But then you you examine it and say, well, how can I learn and grow from that? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's also, um, I mean, I mean, the high-end geishas were were, were women of, of repute, and so they weren't loose women. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. I've been married since I was 21, folks. <laughs> no, I think I past think life. You were, I'm sure, a high-end geisha. <laughs> I hope. I hope. That's. I mean, if it, if we all have to have a past, I'll take that one over. You know something else. Um, I guess I there was another life in World War One. Where one of the things that we, we have to realize is that we've had so many experiences. We've experienced it all. We've been rich. We've been poor. We've been mm-hmm. this. We've been that. 
you know, we've had wonderful marriages, we've been unmarried. I mean, we've had beautiful, we've all had, we've had children, we've not had children. That We've had such a variety of experiences that there's really nothing to long for because mm-hmm. we've, if, if you know inside that you have experienced it, mm-hmm. it, it, it really um, takes away this wanting what you don't have. Mm-hmm. And looking and saying, "Aha! Uh-huh, these are the conditions that I've been given so that I can fulfill my aspirations mm-hmm. that I've brought with me into this life. I mean, we, we, our aspirations kind of guide us to our next place. So things that we couldn't fulfill in the past that we wanted to, we create the conditions or we come into the conditions where we're able to, to, to try to fulfill those aspirations. And what doesn't get fulfilled, that will set the framework for the future. So for me, the main lesson of all of this is greater introspection and more mindful living, being more conscious of, of how, you, how you function in this world, of your relationships in particular. Um, you don't want to leave things undone. You don't want to um, create um, ill will because you know that you, it's going to have to be repaired at some point. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, things like that, it's like really paying attention to everything that comes your way so that you can handle it in the best way. Oh, so earlier you mentioned um, people coming into your lives and you just know, and I've, I've said that about my husband, we've been married 11 years now. And the day that I met him, it was, we joked that it was an arranged marriage in the sense that my older brother introduced us and literally said, they'd gone to college together. And he said, this is um, your future husband, Autumn, your, you know, your future wife. And we laughed and joked and it was like, okay, nice to meet you. See you never. And then here we are all these years later. But the, the, the reason that I feel like it was different than any other encounter I'd ever had was that when I met him, I just felt so safe and um, secure in my being, like outside of my physical body, my soul was like, could breathe. It was like, I could take a deep breath and I just felt a sense of knowing. And I'd never met this person. I'd heard my brother talk about him, but didn't know much about him. This is pre Facebook days when you couldn't go and stalk people and like, no, you might, you might see a picture that somebody put somewhere. Um, and he was, we were across the country in different colleges. I was on the West coast and on the East coast. And it was like, I had known him forever. And I talk about this a lot and um, you know, I, I don't want to build up this romance, but I sometimes like, I, I said that to him the other night, I go, man, wouldn't it be nice if like sometimes there were just these beautiful romances that last lifetimes and it doesn't have to always be, you know, doom and gloom with the past lives. And can I just have a bunch of lives where like we live these really happy lives and then we die in our sleep in our old age? Like, I know that, that happens. <laughs> that happens. You know, it doesn't happen in every life that way. Yeah. For sure, for sure. But I think that's what I'm aiming for now. Like, that's where I'm headed. <laughs> Again, kind of like um, the accumulation of good karma, of, of beneficial deeds that come together in one life. Yeah. And you see people who seem to have it all. Yeah. Um, um, although one of my happiest lives was the life where I was a poor poor daughter of a, of a Sufi saint in Persia. Oh. Mm-hmm. And we had very little, and yet the joy... That was of, your happiest life? Well, I was going to say, one of the happiest remembrances is that relationship with that father. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, had, I had been a Rani, a queen, in the previous birth in India, yeah. and that was a very lonely life. Yeah. Uh, because I was, was that very, the one where your spouse had otherwise? Yeah. Yeah, okay. 
and I was a Hindu and he was a Muslim and it was during the time of yeah. the conquest and all that. And so there was a lot of inner struggle and, and suffering and yet there was wealth. Yeah. And then my next birth, I'm dirt poor and I have this beautiful father who's just such a joyful. And I looked at that and I said, oh my God, you know, that just shows you. It's the people who are in your lives that matter. And to me, the thing that has st stood out is that there's always been some saintly figure to point me in a direction, mm -hmm. or to, 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 to make me realize that it's not, life is not just what it seems and that one has to keep searching. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, um, that's all we can ask for, really, Absolutely. is to have those teachers come into our life. You know, even so I'm a history teacher. I taught um, high school social studies for 10 years. Now I do curriculum development. And so as a history teacher, I actually really enjoyed the book just as a, a walk through history. Um, even if you even if you're a total skeptic and you just want a fun little nonfiction or fiction um, memoir, you know, or a book, it'd be great to check out. But you know what? We have to take a break. So okay. hold that thought. We will be right back. Did you know that when working with the Law of Attraction, it's beneficial to share your longings with a supportive tribe who can assist in maintaining accountability and hold the creative space for your desires to manifest? I'm Autumn Seibel, host of Golden Otter Radio, where the metaphysical meets the mainstream. Join me each month at the new and full moon to plant your seeds of abundance, consciously tend to your intentions throughout the lunar phases, then harvest the fruits of your co-creation with the universe in my Lunar Manifestations members-only forum. Your tribe is waiting for you at goldenotter.us. We're back on Golden Auto Radio with me, Autumn Seibel. My guest today is author and peace activist, Dina Miriam, who's talking with us about past lives, karmic ties, and the laws of cause and effect. But before we continue, I want to make sure everyone knows how to contact her. So, Dina, could you give us your contact info for listeners? Um, well, my um, website is um, www.gpiw, which stands for the Global Peace Initiative of Women, gpiw.org. And we have, you know, programs going on continually. Um, a lot of our work has been international, but now we're also focusing on the U.S. So we'll be having a lot of programs next year. Do a lot of work in the area of environment. Um, and you can also reach me at, at my email, uh, mariamd at gpiw.org. That's M-E-R-R-I-A-M-D at gpiw.org. And we have a Facebook page also under Dana Miriam or GPIW. Thank you so much for sharing that. So we were talking during the break that the Global Peace, and Peace Initiative of Women was born out of your work with the UN, the United Nations, and um, peace work. And we were saying, and I didn't mean to be insulting when I said, even if your book is all just, you know, fiction, if it's all just made up, your current life is pretty amazing. And I didn't mean to um, d diminish any past. I just, sometimes I'm, I, I get so caught up in being skeptical um, or I, I feel like I always have to have a, a, like a, a, the skeptic's lens and I wish I could um, let go of that. But um, I, I thought, wow, like all of these past lives, when you read them, very clearly illustrate to a completely random person who knows nothing about your personal life. I could see how all of those events in the past would lead to who you are today, to have this role of bringing people together, finding our commonalities and um, diminishing our differences. And then um, importantly, bringing women into the fold in the spiritual communities into places where they have um, historically been uh, pushed out or, or, or pu pulled back. Um, and I just, I just think it's really cool. So I, I didn't mean to diminish the past lives. I just thought, wow, if you, if you have to have like a really cool 
present life, you've got a pretty amazing one. Well, you know, that was my, my intention when I decided to share the book. Because mm-hmm. really I was just writing it down just for my, to make sense of my own. Mm-hmm. And then, um, a friend of mine, a writer friend, a colleague, who um, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, mm-hmm. she said, you're writing something. Can I see it? And I said, well, you know, it's about past lives. And she had just started meditating through TM. She said, no, no, no. She insisted. I want to read it. And she read it, and it helped her so much she subsequently died. But when she said to me, Dina, you have to share this because it's changed my whole understanding and my relationship with death. And so, um, and so then I decided to, to, to share the book with everyone. Mm-hmm. But I understood that there are a lot of people who don't, don't accept this concept. And I thought, well, maybe there, there's something that they can get from the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and maybe also it's the women's story of, I explained how I came to this position of feeling the need for women to come forward now, but others have come to it through different avenues. But, but there are a lot of people who feel this way now. The importance of women speaking out and coming together and bringing our energy were needed to address some of the global crises that we're facing. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, so many questions for you right now. I'm like, do I go in the, in the direction of United Nations work or do I go back into um, past lives or do we explore the divine feminine? I guess that's one thing I did want to um, mention and, and give you some accolades for is this. Um, so with the United Nations, there was a, and correct me if I'm wrong, but basically you helped bring together um, world spiritual leaders. And you noticed in that gathering that there was a lack of female voices and a lack of access for females to play a role through the different religious structures inherent to the meeting. And I don't, I don't exactly remember the details, but you kind of said, you know what, we, we need to bring some ladies into the fold. And you organized a smaller gathering for women um, that then has grown into the Global Peace Initiative of Women, and it's bringing women into the spiritual fold, um, which I have a girlfriend who we were just talking about this, um, in America at least, and with my generation, I guess they call it fourth wave feminism, we have the benefit of all of the hard work that the suffragettes and the women's live movement and, you know, um, I heard a thing the other day, somebody who said, I'm a feminist that I nursed through my burning bra or something, something along those lines. And we have the benefit of all the, the work towards equality that our, our forebears have done. But in the modern age where we can, we can be mothers and work and do it all, it's almost like this overwhelming pressure to do it all because now we have the option to do it all. Whereas in the past, a lot of our um, power or responsibility was in the home and with children. And as a working mother, I try to find that balance of, of exploring my divine feminine nature of, of being the incubator for life, for our family and holding that space while also going out into the world and, and trying to bring whatever it is that I can cultivate at home into the world. And a a girlfriend of mine said, you know, there is a, um, a diligence and an, an ethic that comes with being a mother that is, is sometimes unspoken in our society. And I just want to, any moms out there who have raised young children or are raising young children, um, to not diminish that just because that's kind of what is, is being put out in society right now. Um, it takes a lot of work to grow a baby, let alone raise one up. Um, so going back to the UN and, and the Global Peace Initiative of Women, how do you find in this lifetime that 
you're bringing different cultures together where women have very different ideas of what it means to be a woman and what it means to come into the public fold. Well, you know, early on in, in my work, I discovered something very interesting. I had sat through uh, meetings, peace meetings of religious leaders where there were very few women. Mm-hmm. And I sat through peace meetings of, of women from civil society from opposing parts. I remember sitting at the beginning of the Iraq war with Shia and Sunni women, just when their conflict was erupting between the civil war, so to speak. And what I found is that when women get together, doesn't matter which side they're on, inevitably within the first hour, the subject of the children comes up. Mm-hmm. The men get together, you can sit for days and that subject does not come up. Yeah. It's, not, uh, it's just not top of mind, you know? Whereas the women from both sides will talk about the impact on the families, the impact on their children, mm-hmm. and you know what's happening to the children. And I see that now that I'm more focused um, actually on environmental issues and climate change. Mm-hmm. Women realize that it's our children and our grandchildren. What are we doing? Mm-hmm. That we are leaving this earth to our, our children. This is our legacy for our children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that you know that we're we're much more not just biologically, but but psychically tuned in to the fact that we are responsible for nurturing future generations. Mm-hmm. So that responsibility is not just a biological one. It, it extends to creating the conditions where they can flourish. And so, um, so the UN was very responsive to this issue of women need to be involved in peace in, in peace talks, women need to be at the table. Most peace talks, there are no women at the, there were not at that time women at the table. When, were, a lot you of, doing, when were you kind of starting this to give our 2000, listeners? 2000, 2002, early 2000s. Yeah. This is kind of before 9 11, before the wars in Iraq. During 9 11, and then right after 9 11. Wow. So, wow, what a time. Yeah, so it was right after 9 11. So we worked with Afghan women, we worked with Iraqi women, we were even in with Sudan and Middle East, Israel, Palestine. And the effort was, if you put women at the table, they're going to think much more about how this is impacting the children and the families. And when we had one psychologist who had been working with children in refugee camps, traumatized children, and she knew firsthand what was happening mm-hmm. children uh, who were in conflict areas. Um, and she was working subsequently with, with children in Iraq and now with Syria, with the refugee camps, with uh, the Syrians. And so, and yet, and yet it was very difficult for her voice to get out there because, because with the, with the, with the men, it's the political issues, it's the economic issues, it's the power plays, you know, you know, the power dynamics, the geopolitical dynamics. Um, I mean, you look what's happening in Yemen, the the issue of the children, we see it every now and then, uh, you know, on a cover of a magazine. But if women were really playing a role, that would be topmost in, in the negotiations. So I think this it's an ongoing effort, even though we think that we've made we have made a lot of progress, no question. But but there's a lot more work to do in in um, getting the concerns of women to be of equal weight yeah. to other concerns. You know, when my um, so my husband served in Iraq and Afghanistan, my brothers, um, all of our friends, you know, we're active duty military, so we've lived this for the last 15 years. I mean, since 9/11, that this is the that's the world I became an adult in. 9-11 hit, and that's the world we live in. And I've always wondered what my role is. Like, did, should I join the uh, military like my mother did? Is that like part of my journey? And it never quite felt right in this lifetime. And I always wondered, like, what can I do beyond be a, a steady, loving, grounding force here in the States? 
teach. I taught high school um, and just try to infuse as much heart-based education into the world as I could. And something that I heard once was um, women have to love their children more than they hate anyone else. And it reminds me, uh, but for war to truly to, to stop or to end. And it reminds me of the responsibility of being a woman and and nurturing something and growing something in my body and how much love I can put into that one being. And if every woman felt empowered and loved and safe to carry a child through their, through, through infancy, through, pre through pregnancy, through infancy and through adulthood and just felt held in that moment, would we have more peace? Um, we're gonna take a break, but when we come back, I do wanna talk more about that exploring um, matriarchal societies or, or less patriarchal societies, more egalitarian societies where that kind of love really can flourish and how we can move together towards creating um, a really beautiful future. All right, stay tuned, we'll be right back. We're back on Gold Matter Radio with me, Autumn Seibel. I have Dina Miriam here discussing the bridge between the metaphysical and the mainstream. Now she's going to give us more information on how we can integrate the various aspects of our lives from personal to professional, spiritual to business. So um, Miriam, or sorry, Dina, I called you by your last name. Um, you've uh, studied the teachings of Yogananda and have been a practicer of yoga meditation work. Um, studied the Vedic traditions for over 35 years. Your education is very impressive, um, Ivy League schools. And in 2014, you were honored as a recipient of the, correct me if I'm wrong, Niwano Peace Prize by the, okay, I got it, Niwano Peace Foundation in Japan. Speaking of geishas, maybe we had a past life situation. Um, <laughs> you, that was the one where you were, well, okay, you guys got to read the book. It's so great. I talk about Harry Potter all the time. And um, I'm, I'm on a diatribe, everybody. Just hold with me. I will circle the wagon back. I talk about Harry Potter a lot only because I really love the part of my brain that activates when I talk about it. It's a magical, playful, joyful. Oh, yeah. Part. I love Harry Potter, too. <laughs> yeah. And it's like with the past lives, it's like if you can go into it with that same spirit of like a what if. And I, <laughs> I mentioned um, at the earlier in the show, a dear friend of mine named Lisa Molden, who is um, who wrote a book called Presidential Souls. And I think that's, uh, you can find it on Amazon or look her up. Um, she also has a website, celestialhap.com, I believe. And she paints a picture of our soul. And it's just really fun to, to, to kind of fall into that. I think her show would make a great TV series, P.S., for anybody who's listening out there. Same with your past lives. Like, I got to put that out there to the universe. But I want to get back to the fact where I was just saying, um, it just activates a little different piece of my mind because see how playful I was. I talk, start talking about Japan and I'd go back to that life. But for you were nominated for the Niwano Peace Prize by the Niwano Peace Foundation in Japan, in Japan for your years of commitment to interfaith dialogue. Um, so it's safe to say that you have your feet firmly in both the spiritual and business world. Um, how have you been able to integrate these different aspects of your life? How do you, or do you keep them separate or do you integrate? I, I actually, you know, as I as I as you can see in the book, I, I founded a, a, a nonprofit, an NGO, um, the Global Peace Initiative of Women, nearly 20 years ago, um, and and have organized peace conferences around the world. But at the same time, I've had to earn a living. Um, yeah. I've had to, you know, support as a single mom, support my kids when they were young, um, and so I've I've uh, you know also worked in my family's. Uh, public relations company mm -hmm. as a writer and um, and and a, a designer of programs, and I've kept them pretty separate. Except that 
it's kind of seeped in, you know, mm-hmm. so, so um, I, I don't talk about my book at, at work, although um, I spend most of my time these days working on Global Peace Initiative of Women and I'm, I'm less involved in, in, in company um, programs. But for many years, I had to bal- juggle the two. And, you know, I would be sitting in meetings and have these past life recalls and, and it would be a struggle. I, I was mm-hmm. younger at that time and, and it took me many years to learn to integrate it all. So mm-hmm. I could be totally present and be recalling something from the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and that took, that took um, time, uh, time for that to happen. It took patience. Um, it took spiritual maturity, really, which is why I think that, that the reason why people don't um, say, yeah, go get hypnotized and go, go, go to past life is that it can be unsettling. Mm-hmm. Not always. I mean, yeah. many times it's Somebody very, very around in your subconscious and your soul history. I didn't realize how much I valued the privacy of my uh, exactly. subconscious until I scheduled an appointment to let a stranger go digging. So it could be very helpful and yeah. it, it could be unsettling and yeah. you have to be prepared for whatever comes up. Mm-hmm. And so I think intuitively you have to know if the time is right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but people come to me and they say, Oh, can you tell me my past life? And it's, I don't have those memories. How can I tell you your past life? <laughs> I don't have those memories. So, so as I said, it, it, it took a while to integrate. And now, you know, of course, I can seamlessly go from either the business world to the peace world to my spiritual writings. And um, it, I see it as a whole now, different parts of myself. I mean, we're complex beings. We're different, many different parts of ourselves. You, you know, you have to function as a wife. You have to function as a mother. You have to function as a daughter. You have to function in many roles. And, you know, um, you you were talking about in another interview I heard you do, um, people talking about past lives and karma and how, you know, 20 years ago, like past lives, you wouldn't have even talked about it, let alone um, karma. But um, it's now more like people are like, oh, in a past life or my spirit guide or my karma or there's a lot of buzzwords. And maybe people don't totally understand the history or the, the, the inference or the the backstory to each of those things, but they're being used in common like nomen- nomenclature. And the more um, like our language evolves, the more our ideas can kind of catch up to it. And th- that's how I see it. It's like, it's it, things are becoming less taboo just because it's more out there. You might not necessarily say you believe in past lives or you might not be like, you know, but there's less of a stigma. I think at least in, um, you know, my social circles that I run with. But then again, like when I'm at work and I'm dealing with people at a, a diff, in a different age category, I don't usually talk about my spirit guides <laughs> or my past lives. You know, um, I had a few friends who said to me, Dina, publish the book anonymously. And, yeah. and I said, how can I? This is my life. I mean, I yeah. can't publish it anonymously. And, and um, you know, I, I had to really think this through. Do I, am I ready to come, come out with this? Because I do you know, play a role in very kind of official circles. Mm-hmm. And um, I realized, and then I saw a poll that said, this was a few years ago, I'm sure it's much higher now, 25% of American Christians accept rebirth. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure it's higher now. This was a few years ago. And in my interviews that I've done on many podcasts and radio shows, so many people from all parts of the country have been calling in and saying, you know, I, I, I have a memory of this. Could it be true? Could it be real? 
Um, you know, one woman said that her grandson keeps talking about he was there when Jesus was born. And could that be true? Fascinating when they start talking about past lives. I think that's what kind of opened my eyes to it. And when I finally started to accept the idea that maybe it could be true is when these kids would come through with past life recall that you just can't explain it. Um, there've been TV shows about it. There's things where um, like somebody has been shot in the wrist in a past life and then comes with eczema in this life and it's only exactly. healed once they, yeah. so you, you guys can Google it on YouTube. Apparently the, um, I don't can't remember it's the university of Virginia. My husband was just telling me about this. There's a department, um, somewhere around here where we are in one of the university schools that actually researches this stuff and they collect case studies and they're able, we have the technology and the time now to sort of start gathering all of that information and prove, you know, in a scientific proof way that um, this could or could not be possible. And then it gets into this weird, um, I guess in some of the like countries where this is more prevalent, like Asian countries, they will say, um, somebody will come back and actually find the family that they departed from and then marry back into like it. It's that. like, and then that opens up so many other Pandora's boxes. Um, it also- There's been a lot of research. In yeah. the last 20 years, there's been a lot of research. And what what's interesting to me is that if, if this really were accepted widely, it would change our relationship with death. Yeah, oh, absolutely. We didn't even get into the idea of death and death. rebirth. And if you get to come back, maybe it's not so scary. Um, or maybe there is no death because it's all just quantum physics and we're just looping through time and exactly. there's no end. There's just a spectrum. Yeah, uh, but exactly. you know what? <laughs> We've got it. That's, that's where we got to leave it. We'll have to have you on again once I get settled in Africa. And we'll talk about... Um, P women's peace initiatives um, abroad and the life and death process. But I want to thank you so much for coming on. And thank you. Thank you thank so you, much. Thank you. And I want to thank you all listening for Golden Otter Radio. I had an amazing time sharing this sacred co-creation space with you. Please join me every first Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. Our next show will be Friday, March 1st um, with clairvoyant Brian Eklund discussing the do's and don'ts of hosting a home mediumship development circle. Um, also, if you'd like to contact me or join my monthly manifest manifestation membership, Lunar Manifestations, where we do do some past life stuff, uh, visit my website. It's goldenotter.us. That's golden like the precious metal and otter like the precious animal. Uh, please take a moment to sign up for my biweekly emails and get up to date on all things Golden Otter. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Miriam. Uh, have a great week and I'll feel your positive vibes back here next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Golden Otter Divinations, where the metaphysical meets the mainstream with Autumn Seibel. Tune in the first Friday of every month at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Exploring where the metaphysical meets the mainstream, Golden Otter Divinations helps you draw in the abundance that is yours by divine right. For more information or to listen to this show, visit goldenotter.us. That's golden like the precious metal and otter like the precious animal.us.